0: This is Top Floor, Episode 82. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 82.
1: Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast right up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry.
0: Welcome to the show. Ryan Rivet is president, CEO, and co-founder of My Place Hotels, a mid-scale extended state brand with more than 100 locations in the United States. While he knew growing up that he was destined to join the family business, Ryan fished around with starter jobs, cleaning fish and cabins at the family lodge in Alaska, selling fish at a market in Jacksonville, Florida, and working on transmissions as a self-taught auto mechanic during his school days. Ryan partnered with his grandfather, Ron Rivet, to create the brand, leveraging Ron's experience as co founder of Super Eight Motels to carve out space for new construction, extended stay properties. After a couple of years of proving out the concept, My Place opened for franchising business in 2014 and announced its 100th hotel last spring. Today, Ryan and I are going to talk about fishing, franchising, and family legacy. But before we jump in, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals, and random people off the street who have burning questions. If you would like to submit a question, you can call or text me at 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Elijah. And this is what Elijah has to say. As I'm selecting the flag for a hotel project... What are the two or three most important things to look for in the franchise agreement? So I think this is right, Ryan. You guys were franchisees before you were franchisors. I'm wondering if you've got some good advice for Elijah.
1: Yeah, I think being able to look at it from both sides uh, of the of the agreement is extremely important. And so, you know, I think the term is is an exceptionally important and foundational element of a franchise agreement. Obviously, but it's important to know how much runway you have to make the business that you're choosing successful and, and how much of a commitment the franchise partner that you're selecting is willing to uh, willing to make in the deal. You know, some cases, 10, 15, uh, 20 years are the options. Um, we like the 20-year option. And, um, you know, not that that's exactly right for everyone, but I think that's an important component to look at first. Uh, I think beyond that, one of the most important components to look at is the fee structure, not necessarily the, the scale of the fee or the amount, uh, because that varies and it depends on the product in, in many ways, but the fee structure, how complex it is, how many add-ons and variables are involved in it. And uh, it, it's easier to manage a simpler fee structure. And so that, that would be my advice. Those two things, uh, term and fee structure, are definitely uh, important from that perspective.
0: Awesome. Elijah, you just got some great expert advice. I expect there to be a check in the mail as soon as possible. So Ryan, your grandfather, Ron Rivet created Super 8 with his business partner in 1974. And you've said before that you grew up so immersed in hospitality that it was never really a question of whether you were going to go into the business what were a couple of the formative experiences you had as a little boy that sort of imprinted the hotel business onto your brain?
1: There are so many of them. But um, you know, a, a lot of the exposure that I had to the business when I was younger revolved around two different things. One living near the corporate office, being able to ride my bike over there and walk through and know a lot of people and sit down and have conversations with them or, you know, knowing the spots that the right desks to go to, to get candy and things like that when, <laughs> I, when I was really young. Um, and so, you know, just being exposed to those people and having being, being, uh, accepted when I came and walked around the building as a young guy. And I still hear that a lot from a lot of people that around. I remember you when you were you know this big and and that I think that that stimulated an early acceptance into the business world and made it feel so comfortable for me for a young age. The second is really um, culturally and relationally, our history and a lot of Ron's legacy is embracing people and entertaining and and going through uh, uh, you know the process of stimulating time together. So we'd have annual hunts and christmas parties and fishing trips and of course conventions and things like that and uh and being so close to him when i was younger i i uh, was able to engage in all of those things so it was it was neat to be able to get face time with people that came in from out of town and regarded the people that worked in our company and the product and uh were just generally and genuinely great people. So those two things from a really young age just helped me to understand and, and that people like hearing what you have to say and and um, engaging with people is a is a lot of fun, even if you are somewhat different than them. Me for me being, you know, eight or nine years old and getting to talk with 50, 60 year old people who are very successful in business and surrounding the franchise business, there's a lot of input. Uh, and uh, I remember back in your day when and those sorts of things that kind of developed a perspective for me. So it wasn't ever a question where I was going to go in my career.
0: They just turned you into a old man in a nine-year-old's body.
1: Huh? <laughs> I've, I've, I've been told that at times nice. by uh, some people close to me too. It's like, hey, don't age prematurely because you talk a little too much. Uh, I've talked
0: to a lot of guests who either work with a parent or a spouse, sometimes even a sibling. But I don't think I've ever talked to someone who works directly with a grandparent. What do you think... Does anything make the grandparent-grandchild relationship different? And do you think it's better suited to working together than those other sort of family relationships?
1: Yeah. And ours is a bit unique in that, uh, in that my grandfather from when I was very young was a primary male role in my in my life. So he's as much of a, a, much of a father as a grandfather. And so that, that again is unique to that relationship. But at the same time, there are those elements of, you know, he was 40 years old when I was born. And so he had had his, uh, his daughters and, and gone through the process of raising kids. And so I know there's always that, that aspect of, grandparents trying to do things better with their grandchildren than they did with their children. Easier. That's, that's the sort of
0: They're always yeah, easier well, imagine, on the grandkids, man.
1: Yeah. And, and I don't know that that, you know, it's tough to say that it was, that I, he's been uh, real easy on me because he's <laughs> a, he's definitely a, uh, you got to work and perform kind of guy. Um, and, and so, uh, but really what's been, what's been, most rewarding for me is being able to have the number of stories that he has and the amount of input that he has from having gone through so much of a a life and a career in business before I was able to have those sorts of conversations with him. And then beyond that, the opportunity that we've had in my place where um, this is very much getting to see him experience the process of starting and growing a business over again. And, and, and the fact that it's been successful to this point, um, feels exceptionally good. So it, the character of our conversations is generally positive, even in negative circumstances. And, and that's been, that's been great. I can't imagine having to work with uh, siblings or, uh, you know, a lot of other family situations, but it's been a ton of fun working with Ron.
0: That's really cool. It's almost like you're getting cheat codes for your enterprise from him.
1: It is, and and at the same time, so much has changed in the last thirty years since he was really active in franchising in Super Eight that, um, that there's a lot of new things that that he learns or is able to compare and contrast to his experiences. Where uh, you know there there's a there's definitely a two way conversation there, and that's a lot of fun.
0: I love that. A lot of people in hotel company C-suites, think of themselves as like F&B people or deal people or salespeople. For me, I'm definitely a salesperson. But even further back than that, I'm for sure a food and beverage person. If you were to strip away all of the corporate titles that you've held and still hold... What kind of people are you? Does that make sense that question? Yeah,
1: it does. I'm a builder, I guess, you could say. I mean, my my start in my career was focused into construction. Um I didn't do construction work growing up as a, you know, job in high school or anything like that, but but that's where that's my that was my entry into into career and into our business here. And so the vantage point that I learned the hospitality business and and everything in my career from was was building. and which fits pretty well to my personality. If you go back over time, I've always enjoyed figuring out how to put something together and and uh, managing the mechanics of putting something together and and so um, if i if I try to look at how I approach conversations with, you know, the people who report directly to me or how I approach guidance and, and teaching some of the people that, uh, that report to them as we engage, it's really from the standpoint of breaking down the problem or breaking down the circumstance into components and then figuring out how to build it back the right way or, uh, how to put it together for the first time the right way. So that, that really characterizes me and, and, uh, it creates some challenges in personal relationships because i'm constantly trying to problem solve. Sometimes people just want me to listen. So that's uh that's the biggest area of growth that i that i've engaged in, but it really is just that's my personality. And so if i uh if i had to take another position um in the company or or had to change my day-to-day activities, i would gravitate towards construction and towards building and problem solving.
0: I thought you were going to say construction, but I wasn't expecting you to take that analogy further. So that's very insightful. Speaking of personal relationships, you are the father of four. Do any of them show signs of having the hotel bug? Like if you could control it, would you want them to join the family business or would you want them to completely do something else?
1: I would love to have all four of them involved in the business in one way or another. I would hate to see all four of them in the same room or in the same discipline because they are so completely different (laughs) in personality. Um, You know, at ages 10 to 17, they've, you know, come around to beginning to be adults and have their own opinions and stuff. And it's been interesting to hear their perspectives about our business and what we do here. And they get exposed and spend a lot of time around it too. And, and so I, I think there's a chance that all four of them will get involved. But then again, there's, there's no hard push either. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how they come along, but there will definitely be uh, an incentive to provide them opportunities to get involved if they want to.
0: I just realized this. You know how people will say, like, if someone has a lot of children, oh, you've got your own baseball team there. You have your own hotel leadership committee. Like, you could staff an entire hotel just with your children.
1: That would be pretty awesome. It's true. It would be interesting to see. That's for sure.
0: My place had a ton of momentum in 2019, having already passed the 50 hotel mark before the pandemic started. I know that you, or I think that you specifically chose extended stay because you felt like there was white space in the market. Um, So when I talked to Teague Hunter in the fall of 2021, it was episode 14, we discussed the fact that everyone was so hyped on extended stay in economy scale hotels because they had performed so well when most of the other hotel classes really suffered. My place has obviously benefited from that. You recently crossed over a hundred franchises. Do you think the appetite for extended stay is still there, both on the guest side but also on the development side?
1: Yeah. um, it's definitely what we're seeing. Uh, I think the value proposition for the guest with an extended stay, um, adds is is an addition to typical select service properties. And that's been the biggest propulsion for the growth of extended stay. And that appetite continues to improve. Uh, I think we saw some things change in terms of what guests in general are looking for and how specific they are about what their guest experience and their accommodation should be during the pandemic period. When people were exceptionally focused on quality and cleanliness, and uh, making sure that the that the place that they're staying upholds a lot of really stringent standards in terms of cleanliness, and so for us as an all new construction chain, there's a lot of advantage to that um, in being easier to maintain quality and cleanliness in a hotel. But also the the extended stay amenities in within the room have become even more important today versus. Uh, in years past, as we've seen, you know a lot of things change in food and beverage, and generally in the hospitality world. Um, it, it's it's definitely characterized a bright spot for extended stay. So, we're we're still seeing growth, and and really happy to be in that position.
0: Awesome. It's crazy the number of times, Ryan, that having a refrigerator and a guest room has come up on this show. Like I grew up in very snobby, full-service hotel world where if people wanted a mini fridge, you sort of looked down your nose on them. I don't want a hotel room that doesn't have a fridge at this point. So to your point, the traveler's expectations and desires have for sure changed. It strikes me that maybe one of the benefits of your partnership with your grandfather is that the company was already operating a bunch of hotel support businesses, probably not the right phrase, but things like a construction company, an investment company, procurement, a management company. And in fact, you guys still own the very first Super 8 in Aberdeen, South Dakota, which I think is very cool. How do you think or not how do you think how do those auxiliary businesses interact with your franchisees like are they required to sort of shop at the company store or how does that work
1: Well um not generally no and uh, in fact overall no and not at all but they do function and interact with franchisees as a as a support system Um, where we have internally here, we have our own construction company and management companies. We can aggregate data from those two functions within the process of building and operating a hotel and provide better insights, have better market knowledge, and really be more equivalent in the conversation to our franchisees because we're living those things every day as well. Unlike um, a lot of cases where the management or construction is, is 16 degrees of separation away from the franchise, or there is no separation between the two for us. Uh, most of us that are, that are operating and administering my place are also involved in the day to day operations of those other support companies. And so we live it and we're able to talk about it and engage with franchisees on that basis. But we also recognize that there's input from people that could be we're not always the smartest people in the world and so for us to say you can only buy it here you can only buy it from us would be eliminating opportunities to learn from our franchisees too now generally speaking people don't like to reinvent the wheel and if we have that support system and that service to offer um, we found that our franchisees have been tremendously happy with it but they have the ability in any any of the circumstances products or services that are needed in developing their hotel to go Anywhere they'd like to, as long as the, the products that they buy and the methods that they incorporate meet our brand standards, which is not difficult to do. We're happy to see competition and, and we're happy to see uh, new ideas get developed and brought in. So it is um, it is definitely a touch point for everybody as they come in to ask, you know, do you require us to do construction or management with you or procurement with you? And, and the answer is always absolutely not. Uh, but we can provide a lot of information for whoever you do decide to use to do those things.
0: This sounds like a good time to take a break. When we come back, Ryan and I are going to talk about Fish and his stage debut at the age of 10. Be right back. Top Floor is sponsored in part by the Hunter Hotel Investment Conference. Hunter brings together the hotel industry's most influential leaders and investors for networking opportunities and insightful sessions on hospitality trends. Deals are built on meaningful relationships and Hunter is where these relationships are made and deals get done. Next year's conference will take place March 19th through 21st, 2024, and you can find more details at hunterconference.com. We like to make sure that our listeners come away from each episode of Top Floor with a couple of very practical, tangible tips to try in their businesses or their personal lives. Fish play a recurring role in your life and career. So one of your first jobs was, I think this is how you said it, president of DHD&G, which is the dock house, deck and garbage at your family's fishing lodge in Alaska. And you also worked at a fish market in Jacksonville, Florida, when you were going to school. So, what is something that everyone should know either about fishing or about like buying fish for dinner?
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a really interesting process of of uh, career development for me <laughs> from fish to fish to franchising, but you know, fishing is a really big part of my life. It's something that we do as a family. It's something that I love to do individually and with friends. And, and a lot of it is is about patience. And a lot of it is about is about learning how to adapt to circumstances, whether that's weather or, or that's the way that the fish are moving or that's the shape of the body of water that you're fishing on and conditions. And so, you know, it, it's a it's a learning process. It's relaxing and it's a lot of fun. And there's a lot of days you go out and don't catch anything, but you still want to keep going because there's always that opportunity. And so I think, you know, to, to put it in terms of of what people should know about it is don't, don't uh, don't go fishing with the expectation of producing something, go fishing with the expectation of learning about something and enjoying it. And uh, so that's what we do. And, you know, best statement i've ever heard from somebody who knows a lot about fish was if it smells like fish on your plate don't eat it (laughs) uh, having worked worked in fish markets and restaurants i'll say that's absolutely true uh Mm -hmm. you know if it smells like fish on your plate it's probably not going to taste very good so uh we love to eat it eat a lot of it but uh definitely don't want it to smell like fish (laughs)
0: Understood. I read that your prototype for My Place Hotels devotes like 75-80% of the building to guest rooms versus some of your competitors that put more of the building space into public areas. Can you talk about that as a strategy why you made that decision?
1: Well, I think for us as franchisees for a period of time between Super 8 and My Place, we built a lot of properties uh, of of all the major brands, generally, and and um, we recognize that the greatest inefficiencies in a hotel construction process were in the in the amenity and public spaces. We also recognize, as being operators, that uh, the amenity spaces in our typical, you know, select service uh, interstate side or suburban hotel properties. The fitness centers were generally too small to be real attractive to, uh, to a lot of the travelers and, and therefore weren't getting used as much other than the, the you know Smurf events or the you know, kids' activities, football games, basketball games, things like that. The pools just don't get used all that much by the core competent travelers that, that uh, we were looking at for sure. And uh, you know the breakfast amenity just constantly gets more and more convoluted in terms of costs. And and less and less used um, in general as quick serve food and beverage out there provides better quality more reliable options or uh, you know stimulates a lot more of protein exactly so <laughs> you know you can you can go get a coffee and egg bite somewhere else and be happier at that than the powdered eggs and plastic sausage at the hotel great room so <laughs> that those things we decided to eliminate those uh, elements as a standard uh, there are some of my places that have you know, uh, pool facilities because they're in locations where they're heavily, uh, used by leisure travelers and, and family travelers. And they expect that that amenity is necessary, but by and large, we don't have those in our properties and we've been very successful in creating efficiencies in operations and in capital by, by eliminating those things without sacrificing, uh, pricing opportunities or exposure to good quality guests. It definitely has worked out well for us and 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 uh, our franchisees, while they may have questioned it on their initial approach as to because everybody's been so accustomed to needing those things uh, once they got into it, they all all come back around and recognize that there's value in it.
0: understood. Okay. So here's a really easy question. Got it. What advice would you give someone who wants to create a new brand of hotels? Do you have any lessons learned or things that you would do differently that you can just, you know, wrap up in a couple minutes? I don't don't know.
1: I don't want to give anybody advice because I don't want anybody else doing it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Do you
0: think we have too many brands?
1: You know, I I think there's, I think there is a growing uh, confusion among travelers as to what brands are what and what they mean and so on i mean uh you generally hear people talking about the bigger parent companies more so than you hear them talk about the sub brands underneath them and so um yeah i think there's probably too many names and too little differentiation among those names today um and so that that's a that is an interesting set of circumstances that i don't i don't know how that Plays out over time, but it, in many cases, I see it uh, diminishing value for both the franchisor and the franchisee, um, and at very least, being a confusion for the guests. So that is an interesting one. As far as advice that I might give, um, you know, I think there's a lot of infrastructure needed in order to do something, and there's a, a like creating a franchise company when you're not already a big franchisor. It's a lot of um, a lot of engagement, and I'm I'm really happy to have been, made some very close friends in the process of building a franchise uh, network that we have today. So that's what it's all about. That's as cliche that's so as it sounds. Cool. It's, it's a relationship thing. <laughs>
0: it's True. It's absolutely true. Well, we have reached the fortune-telling portion of our program. So now's the time to predict the future. And then I will come back later and let you know if you
1: guessed correctly.
0: So what is one prediction that you have about the future of travel?
1: I think the future of travel is going to change a bit in terms of how frequently people travel. I think there's there's conveniences being created and technology um, that in spite of rising costs of certain things, we're going to see, you know, people that typically took the the annual family vacation or maybe went, uh, you know, visited family on Christmas and spring break or once in the summer, begin traveling for smaller trips, shorter distances, a little bit more frequently throughout the year. Uh, that's that's something that that we've been watching really closely, and and I see that trend developing along the lines of analytics that we have
0: is the same true for you like it for your personal travel i'm sure you're traveling all the time e- either way but like vacation
1: it is yeah i i've but i've always been that way because i grew up traveling a lot so it's kind of comfortable i start to get shaky and and a little bit uh burdened by the fact that i'm at home if i've been here for too long so my, <laughs> my kids have developed an understanding of that and they're like all right where are we going this weekend and that's pretty much an every week thing I'm like where are we going this weekend well you know more more often than not, we're finding somewhere to go, whether it's you know a couple hours away from home uh, to a place we go frequently or it's it's somewhere where we've never been to try and get something new out. but those weekend trips or maybe even long weekend trips uh, definitely are are our MO. If
0: you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about construction, what would that be? Like the process of construction?
1: (sighs) Um, I I think that the, the regulatory environment surrounding construction has grown faster than the people who are employed by municipalities to enforce them. And so from us, one of the biggest challenges that we have in the process of building a building is the municipal inspections processes and the communications with the municipalities that we're working in there are a growing number of people in those in those fields that don't necessarily have experience in construction they don't necessarily have direct uh, knowledge of how the codes and the regulations that they're enforcing actually work in a practical circumstance we've watched that just over the last 10 years uh, and i'm sure it's been happening for a long time but it seems to have gotten progressively worse and the communications with and, and engagements with municipalities have become more challenging, um, I think, in large part as a result of that. So, you know, while construction costs have increased, while means and methods have changed as a result of, you know, insurance world and and uh, other regulatory things, I think if we could very quickly change the nature of the relationship and the understanding of the municipal enforcers that that the construction trades deal with, we could see more productivity in construction. We can see projects get to market faster. Uh, business plans be uh, more true uh, to pro forma in actual implementation, and uh, and maybe even as a result, we start to see costs and timelines come back down organically uh, because we corrected that. So that's that's one I definitely would like to see.
0: You really are a builder because that is not something I would have ever thought of, but as you explain it, makes a thousand percent sense. I totally get what you're saying. What is next for you and what's next for my place?
1: Next for me, I guess uh, I'm excited to uh, continue our franchise sales objectives, and we've got we've got some neat. Things happening with um, with some new incoming franchisees that are going to require a little more of my engagement because they're uh, larger package hotel uh, package deals or they're building multiple at the same time and I'm just excited to be helping helping franchisees build. So it seems to be what I can do the best.
0: Okay, folks. Before we tell Ryan goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Ryan, what is a story you would only tell me on the loading dock?
1: Um, there's a video that exists somewhere of, uh, let's see, it would have been a 10 or 11-year-old Ryan um, on the stage in one of the bigger F&B venues in the Opryland Hotel, stinging Margaritaville during the the last Super 8 convention while uh, while we owned the company uh it would have been in 1993 and um it was uh it's one that a handful of people are still around that remember being there and uh, i have no idea how i ended up on stage or why i was singing but it was a it was a big gathering of people it was the evening gala reception and somehow Young Ryan and Margarita Phil. So that's why I, I'd love to see that video. I never have, but somebody's told me that they've got it somewhere. And so it'd be interesting to see that. I story.
0: cannot tell you how much time I'm about to devote <laughs> to searching for this video on the World Wide Web. So stay tuned. We'll see if I can find it. Ryan Rivett, thank you so much for being here. I know that our listeners were inspired by your story and I really appreciate you riding up to the top floor.
1: I'm happy to have joined you today. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 82. Top Floor is produced by John Albano, who also composed and performed our elevated elevator music with vocals by Cameron Albano. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. After you leave us a five-star review, you can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen.
1: Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode.